0: Doug Maurice, Nathan Baird, and Stephen Means. He's back. We'll welcome him back later, but let's dive in. I like when we get up and we start and we dive in. Rapid-fire questions. Then later, we'll talk about the deal with the coronavirus waiver at Ohio State, some other things happening in college football with Chuba Hubbard in Oklahoma State, with the dismissal of the Iowa strength coach, um, some stuff happening. But let's dive in on some football from our loyal tech subscribers from the 330. Who is someone you guys see as a sleeper hiding in the weeds, and then when the season gets here, he will explode when the bright lights are on. Steven, you're back. People want to hear your voice. Who's your sleeper for the Buckeyes this year?
1: So off the bat, I went with G. Scott, and here's part of the reason for why. Yes, the hype around the top 100 wide receivers as a group is a thing, but it's more on – Jackson Smith, Nick Digba being on, in the slot as the guy rotating with Garrett Wilson. And then, you know, Mookie Cooper's probably not going to play that much this year as a guy who didn't necessarily play college football in 2019. And then there's Julian Fleming as the number one receiver in the country. But the guy he's probably going to rotate with is G. Scott, the number 65 player, number 10 wide receiver in the country. And of the four, he just kind of looks already built and ready to play college football and a lot of that is just because of some of the relationships he has with professional football players like Richard Sherman. But I think he's kind of getting lost in the hype a little bit amongst that group because he isn't, you know, the number one, number number one receiver in the country and he's not one of those slot guys. So I think within that group of guys, he's going to be in the rotation. So I think he'd be the, a sleeper pick amongst, you know, that group of guys who are getting hype.
0: That's a really good answer. And, and given his, like you said, some of the, he grew up around football. He just has a this inherent football background. That like a guy like Julian Fleming, who's like from a small school that ran the ball a lot, you know, just doesn't have the same um, the same people around him to sort of teach him how to be a college football player. And while these guys have not been here, um, I could see that like even accentuating what G Scott is. Um, Nathan, what's your answer?
2: So I, I thought about going with Nicholas petit again because that's who I'm driving the bus for in 2020, right? I forget. I, thought,
1: I had some sleeperness. Had
2: some sleeperness built into it, but actually, five
1: days a week. It's kind of.
2: But 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 with NPF and with. Uh, I would argue with also with G Scott, they're both coming in as pretty highly ranked guys. And Nicholas Peefer has been with the program. So I don't know. He's always been kind of seen as the next guy up at one of the tackle spots. So the guy I went with actually was steel chambers who at the start of this season is probably going to be Ohio States. It would not surprise me at all. If opening day, he's their number two guy on the depth chart at running back that master Teague and Marcus Crowley, maybe are not fully healthy yet. This is obviously just speculation. We've got a ways to go before we find out the, the full health of these guys. But if that's true, if those guys need some more time, if they're not ready to go on day one, Steel Chambers is your guy behind Trey Sermon, right? You would assume. And that's going to mean carries in in important parts of games early on this season. And he flashed some stuff late last season, you know, in the same way that Marcus Crowley would have, um, late in games, third string things, not not anything that you would necessarily give a lot of credence to. But I don't have any necessarily right now reason to believe he is well behind someone like Marcus Crowley, who people seem to have a pretty high opinion of as, as someone who could be in the mix if he were healthy. So just someone to keep an eye on that I think could have a bigger role than maybe we assume. We we talk a lot about Trey Sermon. We talk a lot about Master Teague. We talk even maybe I think more about Marcus Crowley and Steel Chambers gets forgotten. And I think that's what makes someone really a sleeper is when people are just kind of forgetting that they're there. And then all of a sudden you look up and, and maybe after four weeks, he's run for, 200 250 yards
0: he was one of my two answers for all the reasons you just uh explained we talked about him uh at least some on the monday will Trey sermon be a first team all big 10 running back podcast make sure if you guys have not listened to that you catch up with that that was our market down monday podcast this this i think fits your forgotten definition um Nathan, and I will say, uh, questions like this are hard at Ohio State because it's like your sleepers are like, oh, this guy was only like the 112th rated recruit in the country. Right. You know? It's like it's, nobody at Ohio State is asleep. They're all tremendously awake. It is very hard. You know, every now and then there's a Chris Olave or Malik Harrison, a lower rated guy that really pops. But on the forgotten level, I'm going to say Harry Miller. And just from the standpoint of I think everybody assumes he's going to win the left guard job, uh, as a second year guy in the program, he's a top 50 national recruit, but like, what if Harry Miller is like awesome right away, right? That even Wyatt Davis, um, took a little time to get in there, but everybody, I think with Harry Miller from the minute they recruited him talked about like how prepared this guy is, um, to play college football. And I could just see him, you know, we, we all think College football thinks that Wyatt Davis is like the best guard in college football. And what if Harry Miller plays like close to Wyatt Davis's level? So it's hard to be a top 50 national recruit and an expected starter and be a sleeper. But I just think it's possible that Harry Miller doesn't just start, but is like, Quite accomplished early on in his second years at Buckeye, so I think it's, those are good three good three interesting answers.
1: Just with the Harry Miller thing, because I, I agree with you a little bit. But do you think some of that is because he's not necessarily playing the position that you know he's, he was a center coming out of college, and obviously he'll be the backup center this year. Do you think that some of that plays into it because he's not necessarily playing the position that he'll ultimately be playing, and probably when he does go off to the NFL, want to be.
0: I just think like in the forgotten landscape, it's like there's three returning starters and then everybody's mm-hmm. kind of anticipating this right tackle battle between Petit Frayer and Paris Johnson. It's like, oh yeah, Harry Miller, he'll be the left guard starter, right. you know? And he's not a returning guy, but he's not necessarily like in a heated battle. There are other options there, Matthew Jones and other guys. Um, but I feel like we're just assuming he's going to start and um, it might just be one of those where like Harry Miller's like first team all big 10 as a, as a sophomore. Right. His first year as a starter. So and I don't know. It's hard to judge interior linemen. Maybe just people will pick him because he plays for Ohio State. and He's famous. But I think he might be really good. Question two from the nine, three, seven. And Nathan and I batted around this potentially being a market down Monday topic. But we're going to do it here. Probably couldn't quite carry an entire uh, like 40 minute podcast. But it's a good question. Zach from Canal Winchester, the nine, three, seven. Who will be the hardest player to replace after the 2020 season? And Nathan, I don't know if you want to throw in some of the caveats that you and I discussed when we were debating whether
2: it should be a MIDM topic. Well, when we were going to do it for Market on Monday, I thought I was going to have to word it. In order to not have the most boring selections of all time, you have to word it. Other than Justin Fields on offense and other than Sean Wade on defense, who will be the most difficult to replace in 2020. Um, But then even when we talked that out, we said, well, isn't everybody just going to say White Davis? So you have to get pretty far down. So do you want to say anyone who hasn't been a Heisman Trophy finalist or a consensus first team All-American or is projected to be a first round draft pick in essentially every mock draft out there, who will be the hardest to replace in 2020?
0: I guess. I mean, I guess. However, anybody wants to answer it. Listen, would, if, would if, someone
2: would someone name someone other than those three guys as the hardest to replace after twenty twenty right now? Probably not. I just thought of a wrinkle guy, maybe.
0: But 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 part of the issue, right, is that I mean, at, so if you take those three guys away, it's like almost everybody else has like a ready made backup. It's like, well, Thayer Munford. Well, Paris Johnson can slide there. Well, Josh right. Myers. Well, Harry yeah. Miller can slide there. They have so many pieces. Pete Werner, Tough Borland. It's like, well, there's linebackers who have been waiting forever to slide in there. It's hard It's hard to find guys who aren't the obvious, obvious picks who then really will be missed because it's possible the guys replacing them will be just as good as or better than they are if it's not Fields or Wade or Davis. So, Nathan, answer it however you want to answer it.
2: So, again, I kind of almost went in a sleeperish way with this. And I said Luke Farrell. And... So much. I know Ohio State doesn't feature the tight end, but he does a lot of things in this offense. He is their starting tight end. He is the guy we talk so much about, Jeremy Ruckert, because of the way he came in with the kind of the accolades he came in with. But really, Farrell is ahead of him on the depth chart. And I feel like, I mean, especially if Jeremy Ruckert were to blow up and leave, now you're losing both of these guys. But even without that, I don't know right now that I see the, the second guy who is just christened to step up there and be the Ruckert to Farrell the way that Ruckert is right now. Or be to be the Rucker to Ruckert the way that Ruckert is to Farrell right now, if that makes sense, uh, next season. I,
0: I can see that. And it's, again, that you, you, a really good blocker at tight end is like really important for the way this offense functions. So I get it. Steven, what's your answer?
1: Yeah, with all I mean, I went with Wyatt Davis just so I didn't have to go with Justin Fields, mainly because I don't know who the backup right guard is. At least with you know, with Sean and, and with Justin Fields, yes, there's a large drop off in talent, but at least there's somebody you can point to and say, Okay, that guy's probably gonna have the job next year, even if they're not necessarily as good. With Wyatt Davis, I don't know who who are we plugging in there. I I after next season. I don't know that answer sitting here right here today with the defensive backs. You have all those young guys plus Tyree Johnson and the quarterbacks. We know that three man battle is going to be right here. Sitting here, right. There. I don't know who, what the right guard battle is going to look like when March of 2021 rolls around. So that's why I when Wyatt Davis there, but under the guidelines that Nathan is presenting, maybe we should throw tough in there, not necessarily for, everything he brings on the field, but also, I mean, this guy's going to be a three-time captain and there's a reason why he keeps, you know, keeping other guys off the field and, you know, they keep voting him as a captain. So maybe it's it's more because of those reasons than it is all he just does on the field on, on Saturdays. Yeah, I guess there's not,
0: I mean, again, it's like, there's a mix of guys, you know, Luke Whippler and Harry Miller, yeah. both are centers, but one will have to end up at guard. So, if Miller's starting now and you lose Davis and Myers, you figure, you know, maybe Whippler and, and Miller are two of the three interior linemen, then it could be it could be somebody like Matthew Jones, who's a highly rated recruit who's kind of yeah. been waiting around. It could be a guy like Enoch Lamahi um getting a shot. It could be some of these younger guys. But I do think I think again, as much as you can see sort of obvious replacements at a lot of spots, I don't know that it's completely obvious at right guard. So I like it. Can I say Blake Hobiel?
1: Yeah. Sure.
0: So he's a senior. He's a kicker. I've seen some draft rankings ranking him as the best kicker for the 2021 NFL draft. Uh, He's never missed an extra point. He's 23 of 28 on field goals in his career. There have been times, uh, recent times in Ohio State, sort of during Sean Nurnberger's career, where they had some sort of iffy times. They had walk-ons filling in at kicker when Nurnberger was hurt or um, had other stuff going on. They have Jake Seibert on the roster as a who's going to be a walk-on. That's the plan, at least, I think, for this fall, um, but will be a scholarship kicker down the road. They have him set up to take over. But, you know, I mean, Blake Hawbeel's good, and you know it, and it's always hard to know for sure how the next guy's going to be. So Dave Je- Jesse Murko lined up from Australia to be the punter and take over for Drew Chrisman, but... There's a kicker and their punter are seniors. And they're both guys that you, I think, completely would rely upon right now. No questions asked. And, you know, it's not doubting Jake Seibert. It's just the reality of, like, sometimes you don't miss a kicker until you really need him. And then you have, like, a first-year guy lining up for a 46-yard field goal in the fourth quarter. And very seldom. I've always, in fifth for 15 years, I've been worried about that kind of thing with Ohio State. Oh, my gosh. Do you have a guy who can make a 46-yard field goal in the fourth quarter? And, like, very seldom does that actually happen, right? I mean, there are the moments. There was the Iowa kick. I think it was. I can't remember who made that kick. There's obviously Mike Nugent saving the day. Um, you know, they're with that 50-yarder at the end of the game against uh, Marshall, right? There's – is it Marshall or Cincinnati? I can't remember. Sorry. Kickers have made a difference, but sometimes not as much as I anticipate them making a difference. So, anyway, I said I said Blake Hallbeal.
2: Sure. I think it makes I think it makes huge sense, especially for next season, because one of the reasons why maybe that doesn't happen that often is Ohio State is just so talented. And a lot of times they are they don't have that many games, maybe in the course of a season that come down to just like a critical kick, a critical punt. But next year, when you've got first year starting quarterback, when you've we've talked about how many times, uh, how many ways they're going to lose talent at a lot of positions, uh, that talent disparity may not be as overwhelming. and maybe one year where it does come back to the mean a little bit and special teams might be more critical more times next season.
0: Question three from the two one six. Who's going to be the better player? 2019 Damon Arnett that we already saw or 2020 seven banks. Steven, what do you got?
1: I went with Damon Arnett and I actually looked up some stuff for this. Uh, According to PFF, he had the lowest passer rating of any cornerback last season and he was third in single coverage rating with his grade, it was 84.2. He was third in obvious passing situations. His grade was 83.6. And 10th in accurate passes. His grade was 61 overall. I, what we're saying here is, is seven banks going to be a top 15 pick? And that's what you're arguing here because th- whether you agree with it or not, the Raiders took Damon Arnett at 19. And whether we, none of us probably expected that. But Damon Arnett was really good this year, especially given that he probably got most of the action because nobody wanted to throw at Jeff Okuda. So uh, he was really good night last year, good enough to be a top twenty pick. I don't know if Seven Banks is going to be able to take advantage of that, of having a first round cornerback on the other side of the other side of the field the way that Damon Arnett was. So I'm going to go Damon Arnett 2019.
2: Nathan, you know as much as we all swooned over Seven Banks's one day in front of the media eyeballs at spring practice possibly because we were all in search of something to swoon over um and he was I thought he looked good and I I think he'll be a good football player this year but I can't assume that he'll do anything like what Damon Arnett did last year Damon Arnett was I think overlooked in a lot of ways I think there are reasons to have had questions about his his play in some facets coming in the last season but I think the because Jeff Okuda was who he was and even sometimes because Seven Banks were or I'm uh, sorry Sean Wade is who he is I think a lot of times Damon Arnett maybe didn't get the credit he deserved for having the season he did um it I, do I think Seven Banks can come in and have the kind of season that catapults him into you know top 20 NFL draft status I as solid as I think he could be I think that's a little bit far to expect at this point uh so I'm still I'm picking Damon so it just depends.
0: Right. I mean, as much as we talked about the, the Marshawn Lattimore all stars, the guys who go from not a starter to like an all American in their one year as a starter, and then they're gone. If you think seven banks, is, seven banks is that, then you pick seven banks. Right. Um, if you don't think seven banks is that because David Arnett wasn't an all American. If you don't think 7 Banks is that, then you have to pick Damon Arnett. And I would say, I mean Damon Arnett played a lot of football at Ohio State. 16, 17, 18, 19, he played a lot of football. And I might take 2027 20, Banks over 16, 17 and 18 Damon Arnett. Yeah, fair. Which is a which is a nod mm-hmm. to 7 Banks, but I think it took Damon Arnett maybe because of coaching, maybe because You know, he was a little bit of a lower rated guy, but he's admitted that he didn't click as much with every coach until Jeff Halfley got here. Um, I think that would still be really good for Seven Banks to be like better than the first three years of Damon Arnett, but that was fifth year in the program forever, learning, learning, growing, improving Damon Arnett that was on the field. And to expect a first year starter to do that I think Seven Banks, I think, again, Stephen, your point is right. The Raiders picked him 19. He's the 19th pick in the draft. He's a first-round pick. That'll never change. When you talk about how you evaluate guys, we say all the time, well, he was a first-round pick. I think he was overdrafted. So I am going to, in the moment, take that into some consideration. But I think in the end, I think by the time he's done, Seven Banks could be a better player on the field for Ohio State at his peak than Damon Arnett was at his peak. I just think it's putting a lot on seven banks to anticipate that in year one as a starter, where by last year, Damon Arnett knew every trick in the book, including like how to cover guys tight without grabbing them all the time anymore, which he had a problem with the year before. So I just think, man, you've got to think that seven banks is Marshawn Lattimore to pick seven banks as the answer to this question, right? Isn't that the threshold?
1: Basically, That's that's what they're asking. Yeah. That's gotta be what the question is here. It's, can this guy are you picking a guy and saying that he's going to turn himself into a top 20 pick in 15 games or the guy who took 5 years to turn himself into a 19 to a 19th pick in the draft but you know in his at his best he played himself well enough to be that
2: All right
0: off topic quickly from the 216 what's the best concert you've ever been to and what band or singer have you seen the most Nathan Baird I am I am eager. I'm eager for both your answers on this. Nathan, what is your concert answer here?
2: I think the, the, the group I've seen the most is probably either the old 97s who I saw a lot when they came through Indianapolis. They seem to come through, um, if not annually, then, you know, almost annually. And, um, another favorite of mine, a band Ted Lee and the pharmacists who I saw a lot in Chicago, but have seen other places, and that was for my best concert. I picked either between there was a night where um, there was like a there's thing in, in outside Cincinnati called Sonic Muse Fest. I don't know if they still have it, but uh, Ted Lee on the Pharmacist and The Hold Steady, which are like two of my favorite bands, um, kind of co-headlined that, uh, and they're both just great live bands, and and they they really killed it that night. But then also living in Lafayette, Indiana for 15 years, you don't get a lot of great artists that come into Lafayette. I mean, they'll come to Indianapolis, they'll come to Chicago, but they don't often stop in a place like Lafayette. Um, And one of the exceptions was Jason Isbell played in Lafayette a few years ago. Like, I guess this would have been right after uh, something more than Free came out, uh, or whatever, the the album after Southeastern, but uh, for those of you who are Isbell fans. but um, And and he was great. It was just awesome. He was great, but it was awesome just having anybody of that stature come into a town like Lafayette and be able to just kind of just just up the street from where I work, he's he's playing a concert. So,
0: what is it, Ted? Who and the pharmacists? Yeah, I have no
2: idea who either. Ted Leo and the Pharmacists.
0: Ted Leo, like first name Ted, middle
2: name Leo, and the pharmacists. Uh, last name Leo, yes.
1: And are the they like yes. rock and roll or country or?
2: Yeah, like yeah, like indie rock. Okay. Yeah. I mean,
0: it's even it's it's just just imagine the kind of music that a pharmacist would play. It's that.
1: You're right.
2: I, Yeah. If, if, uh, they're, they're not, um, I mean, I've seen him play on Conan. Like they're not, uh, unknown. They, they had some, a kind of a, a a smaller national following.
0: Yeah. Um, that is exactly what I thought your answer would be. Steven. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) What is your answer?
1: (laughs) Oh, well, I've seen Jay-Z and Beyonce in concert and that was pretty cool. But, uh, the best concert I've seen was future. Um, Cause I saw him twice within like a four months span. We went to go see him at the Q, Q, which has now been renamed. What is it, Rock House Mortgage or something like that? Um, Rocket it, Tocket. It, yeah. Ticket yeah, whatever, Mortgage whatever. House. Yeah, whatever. Dan Gilbert renamed that building. Um, we saw him there, and then he came to Kent when I was still in school, maybe four months later, and which was pretty cool because um, Kent's basketball arena is not that big. It's pre- I mean it's a decent sized arena for a mid major conference arena. So. It's that much louder because everybody's all kind of packed in there. So he's probably the best I've seen. But for the sake of, you know, I have to say I've seen Jason and Beyonce in concert, and that was pretty cool too. So my answer is One Direction. That's it. Um, <laughs> I
0: mean – You going to elaborate on this? I mean, do I, mean, I have to – I mean, yeah. Can we all
2: give the answer that everyone would have expected us to give?
0: Um, yeah, I think so. Right. Yeah, it's pretty on brand. Pretty on brand. We are – it's very important. They want Everyone wants journalists these days to establish their brand. I, th- I think we've all done that. I yeah. think people know where we are coming from on this. So I've seen One Direction three times. I saw them at Nationwide Arena the first time with my daughter. And then Tom Herman was at that concert with his daughter. And Tom, I used that being at the same One Direction concert as a bonding experience with Tom Herman. Um, then we went on a family vacation and sort of planned a vacation around it and went to Niagara Falls and then saw them in Toronto at uh, Skydome or whatever it is now. And then we saw them when they came back and they played at Ohio Stadium. And by then, Zane was disinterested, okay? Zane was so disinterested by the end, I just wanted him off the stage. And then he left, and then he basically killed the band. So I can do a separate Zane podcast at some time. But you guys, I also, I'm a huge REM fan, and there was a their last concert tour, I think, I went and saw them like in Philly, in D.C. and in New York City. And so I saw my favorite band of all time is REM. I saw them in Madison Square Garden. Um, and I have a, the bassist is my favorite musician of all time in that band. And he only sings a couple songs. And there was a moment where like he was singing one of the songs he sings, and I'm standing in Madison Square Garden, and like I felt like he was singing it to me. And it was like the most connected that I've ever felt to anybody in a concert. But then he's in this weird little side band, and I went and see them, I went to see them play um, a show in Louisville in like a bar. And so at that bar, I went up before the show and the band was like hanging out. And I introduced myself. His name is Mike Mills. He's very active on Twitter. And I went up and introduced myself to Mike Mills and basically said like, hey, like you are my favorite musician of all time or whatever. Um, and he's a huge Atlanta Braves fan. And back when I covered the Philadelphia Phillies for three or four years, I guess four years, I always did this thing. I, I had a Sunday baseball column, and I had a thing called the two-question interview where I would try to go into the opposing clubhouse and find, like, a star on an opposing team and ask them, like, two stupid questions and then run that every week. So it was a good way for me to get out and talk to other baseball players. So um, I went and did it with Chipper Jones one time, and I, stole, I told this story to Mike Mills because he's a Braves fan. And I thought he would like it. And I said, um, Chipper Jones, his real name is Larry. And I said, does anybody call you Larry instead of Chipper? And he said, the only person who calls me Larry is Greg Maddox. And I said, well, what do you call Greg Maddox then? And he said, I call him F word face. No. No. So okay. I, I couldn't run that in the paper. <laughs> But I told that story to Mike Mills like 20 years later as my way of like, I know he's a huge baseball fan. He loves the Braves. And I told him my, my good Chipper Jones F-word face story about one of the 10 greatest pitchers of all time. And then I got my picture taken with him. So concerts, man. Also, I went to a Spin Doctors concert one time in college and my roommate, we tried to pass him around in the mosh pit and we dropped him on his head. So um, watch <laughs> oh. the mosh pit, kids. Watch the mosh pit. Hey, we'll come back. We have two more rapid-fire questions. We'll get to those after the break. But first, after the break, we're going to talk about this coronavirus waiver slash pledge that Ohio State players have signed, what we think of it, and what it means for the Buckeyes, and also just some other stuff going on in college football right now. We continue sort of to see the players speak their mind on some different things. We'll talk about nec- that next on Buckeye Talk. Back on Buckeye Talk, thanks as always for joining us. If you want to help shape this podcast, I sent out a question to texters the other day about like, how what can we do better? What can we do better in writing stories, in sending texts, and what we talk about on the podcast? So we care what you guys think. And we also provide you information. It's a two-way street, constant two-way street back and forth. Try it, man. Just give it a shot. 614-350-3315. That's how you become a tech subscriber. One of the things we're talking about is we record this on Monday evening for our Tuesday podcast, this coronavirus waiver slash pledge, depending, it's, it's a form that Ohio State athletes signed when they came back for voluntary workouts um, that basically said, they'll be safe, they'll wear masks when they're out in public, they agree to testing, they will tell trainers if they feel sick, they agree to self-isolate if they test positive all common sense things that you want Ohio State to take this seriously, and you want the athletes involved to take it seriously. And that makes a lot of sense. The issue was them signing this form. Um, And I want us to talk a little bit about what we think of them signing a form. Nathan, you wrote a news story about this and talked to some experts on Monday. What else do you want to lay out sort of like for the basics of, of, of what the issue is around this?
2: Well, the issue is, and right now it's an issue that so far as we can tell is mostly being raised by legal experts and, and people on social media, right? I mean, I we, we tried to reach out to some parents. Um, the one that I quoted in the story was Randy Wade, who kind of responded in that it wasn't something he considered a big deal. There were some other issues around coronavirus in general that he, he does have some concerns about. So it wasn't completely blowing off everything. But in terms of this, signing this document, he didn't really see that much about it that was a problem. And you're talking about a guy who is like a, a career Navy guy who is kind of a by-the-rules guy, uh, an authority, following authority guy, a coach. So, I mean, I don't think he's – that. it doesn't surprise me maybe that he didn't have concerns about it. I reached out to some other – um parents that either didn't hear back or said that they didn't want to participate um so we don't know how much of an issue this was has been raised within the program but the people who have looked at it from the outside the legal experts who look at it from the outside say that just because Ohio state isn't calling this document a um a waiver of liability that that doesn't mean that that isn't exactly what it is and that the fact that and i was able to confirm this with ohio state that the office of legal counsel was involved in creating the document either They said in consultation. Now, I don't know if that means they helped write it or if that just meant that they signed off on it after the fact. But Ohio State lawyers definitely had a hand in what the wording of this document was. And their contention, legal experts' contention, is that if someone were to contract COVID from a teammate, from the facility, and we're not just talking about football, it's all the athletes, all the athletes signed this. Um, If they were to contract it and the parent tried to bring a legal action that this document would then be a defense for Ohio State against that legal action. That's kind of where the the contention is right now. That and and it's there's where you get into some things that rub people the wrong way because um, the, the the university has all these lawyers at its disposal, and at the same time, Ohio State is still part of a a, a greater body that kind of likes to keep. Um, representation away from the athletes at least in a collective way right so i think that's kind of part this is another issue on top of a number of other issues about kind of that power imbalance between the athletic departments and the athletes so
1: they could have just for some people
0: they could have just had a
2: meeting
1: yeah
0: and said here's the deal like you have to come to the meeting before you're allowed to work out it's a 90 minute meeting We're going to have health experts come in. We're going to have doctors come in. We're going to have your coach. We're going to have Gene Smith talk. We are going to hammer home how serious this is, how seriously we as an athletic department are taking it and how seriously we expect you as an athlete returning to voluntary workouts to take it. And that you have to come, you have to sign in, and if you don't come, you can't work out. You can't come until you go through this training but there's nothing to sign. And so to me, that just would, that would be more effective, right? Because I'm sure they have given education. And I think Ohio state said that we're educating our, our athletes on this, but the education matters more than the piece of paper because people sign stuff all the time. They don't read. Right. Exactly. So you can explain something to an athlete and that will sink in more than whatever they read on a piece of paper. So then it automatically jumps. If it's not, for some kind of legal reason, some kind of covering yourself, why do they want a signature? And I don't know, I don't really think that Ohio State necessarily has bad intentions on this, but I just don't know what the answer to, well, if it's not for legal reasons, why do they have to sign anything? Because some schools aren't asking anybody to sign. Stephen, like, just sort of your gut reaction to, he, to to all this stuff, does it feel a little weird to you at all? Or if you were an athlete, would you have gone in? Would you have no problem signing that? Because, of course, everybody wants to take coronavirus precautions seriously.
1: No, I feel like whenever you have to sign something, it feels like someone's trying to cover their own butt or there's an or what if I don't do this. And obviously, reading through it, it doesn't have a if you don't, you know take care of yourself then this will happen to you but whenever well, no it does know, at
0: the end it says if you don't follow these rules you can't participate in the right. activities right, right and more to the point if you don't sign the document right you had then, to sign and you have to follow
1: but i would to that idea i'm more of, of you know going through a training than just having to them sign a piece of paper that i guarantee you none of them you know read thoroughly they just signed it because they were told just you have to sign this piece of paper because if you don't you can't participate because no, de-
2: yeah so they definitely they were- have done the education they definitely have done the the ongoing they've met with doctors you know at least this is what Ohio State has told us that and and uh, and, and Randy Wade was also saying that there are there are um they've had these video meetings set up with the parents and they said they've he's, they've had several of them now and that if you even if you don't watch them live you can go back and watch them later um so there that communication is happening but again, that, that gets to the, the question that Doug is asking and what these legal experts are asking. And so then if that's where the pledge comes in, to me, a pledge is like, oh, I pledge allegiance. If I'm just pledging, like it's just a thing I say, right? It, it's, it's like a vow. You just say it like it, when you're asking someone to actually write it down, that means something else.
0: As someone, are you, you are uh, still intending to get married, right? Yes. I'm not sure the phrase just a vow is something that you want to be yeah. saying.
2: Well, OK, right now. but, <laughs> but that is, no, but let's talk about that, because that is th- that you can you can say thing you can. You, a marriage is only legal when you actually sign the document. Marriage is actually a legal thing. And the same thing here. Like it's it it, it, it it carries a different weight. There's a difference between saying you're married to someone and actually having a marriage certificate that you both sign that makes you married. So we you're have your pick up our marriage certificate uh this weekend. Are you going to sign your marriage certificate? I am. Okay. I fully intend to sign my marriage certificate.
1: So well, well so basically it's it's taking your word for something versus, you know, having you know physical proof of it. Of that well, word. but all that but signing stuff is legal. Yeah, right. That's yeah, why that I do it. it Everything different. it's yeah, legal, of course. You
0: say, look, they Le- signed it. It's legal. And so I mean it's almost like a it's like a prenup. It's like, oh, you're in love. You know, like, why do you need it? Why do you need a prenup? Well, it's like some people want a prenup because like, yeah, you're in love now. But what if something goes wrong? This is like a prenup for Ohio State athletes. And Ohio State's like, listen, you know, we're in this together, but you got to sign the prenup. And it's like, well, I don't, I don't want to sign it. I, I, I want to do this. I'll take it seriously, but I don't want to sign this. It's like, well, then we're not doing it. And I just, I really don't, I want to give Ohio State the benefit of the doubt on this, because here's what I believe about Ohio State. I believe Ohio State handles much of this stuff pretty well. I believe that Gene Smith and the athletic administration and the coaches of the sports, for the most part, actually care about their players. Like, I don't think there are sinister intentions here. However, the system is set up for the schools and the teams and the adults to have all the power and for the the players who are putting their brains and bodies on the line to have very little power. And so like with a lot of stuff we're talking about now, the system is in question. And something like this leans in to the questions about the system because there isn't a player's union. The the players don't have legal counsel. They can't have agents while they're in college. They don't have their own representation. And so whenever you have something where the school is having lawyers draft something up, and then it's up to a 17, 18, 19, 20, 21-year-old and their parents to just figure out about signing it, that's an imbalance and it automatically makes you question it, right? Whereas if the players were on more equal footing and they had their union or they had their lawyers saying, okay, well, we'll sign something, but let's work on the document together, right? I just, I don't wanna make it sound like Ohio state is trying to get one over on its athletes. Cause I really don't think that's what it is, but I also, it just also does not sit quite right with me.
1: This makes you at least, you know, poke your head up at it. Even if you, even if you have that belief that they're not, you know, something like this would at least, you know, are we sure that, you know, they have the best interests in mind if you have them signing legal documents.
2: Doug, one thing I thought of today, you would maybe have better perspective on this. So when the, when the, the Zach Smith stuff went down, it seemed to me that there, the impression I got from the outside was that if you give people like Urban Meyer and Gene Smith the benefit of the doubt, they were trying to handle that in a way that was – like trying to personally handle that with the people involved and maybe didn't follow what would have been legally the best possible way to handle it. I think that's fair giving them benefit of the doubt. So I'm wondering now if this comes up because of that circumstance, and it costs the university some money in addition to... More uh, than the, a million dollars in legal fees. Exactly. In exact <laughs> <sense>. <laughs> exactly. In addition to all the, the, the public relations that you take from that. So are would now would legal potentially be more involved in something where it otherwise wouldn't need to be because of circumstances like that? And now maybe... And, we had, and like I said before, obviously legal counsel was involved in this. That may have been a prerequisite now for a lot of things that, that the athletic department does that maybe weren't prerequisites before that incident. And that's where things start to get – this, this didn't the, – the, the sinister intent that people are maybe reading into this, even if it's there, may not have come from the athletic department. And the
0: other thing too is if Justin Fields or Tuff Borland or Wyatt Davis – or Sean Wade or a veteran leader on this team had stood up and said, I completely agree that Ohio State is gonna take this seriously and we as football players must take this seriously. But I'm not signing anything. And the other player said, Okay, yeah, 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 we're not signing. We we will do it. We agree, but we're not signing. And so if you say we can't play if we don't sign, well we're not signing, right? what would have happened I don't it I think Ohio state would have said okay fine you don't have to sign but we all have to do our best right but you need you need backing you need somebody on your side and that's the whole point that's why lawyers exist because it's hard for people to do that the lawyer does it for you the agent does it for you and when you don't have someone who is an expert in this and is being paid to do it for you sometimes you 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 end up in a position where you that that it's not a level playing field, and so I don't know, but that's the system I don't think that's evil ohio state
2: intent that's just the way college sports work right now right well this i mean it's it's money i mean there's so much money at stake here i can under- i understand to some extent why a university would maybe put legal protections into this in some way but uh also coming out on monday um the Dallas Morning News reported that SMU had all of its athletes sign a document that explicitly released it from liability over coronavirus for, for when they returned to workouts. I mean it's explicitly in the document. So I don't understand why Ohio State maybe just didn't do that. And now if if, if and now you know Gene Smith is on the record with ESPN um responding to this saying we didn't intend for this to be a legal document so i wonder now would they revise the document and say this isn't a legal document in any way and let the players sign it again would they do that but if it's I, not I, a I'd legal
0: document then why do you have to sign it
2: at all well, right I, yeah.
0: right i mean if it's it's like one of those things if it's not a legal document if it's like the boy scout oath why do you have, why do you have to sign right why do you have to sign it why can't you just understand it and nod your head, you know? So, but I also think there's a report out Monday that like major league baseball told the players association, we're not coming back unless you guys agree to like not hold major league baseball liable for any of this stuff. And I think the players association is like, we're not doing that. Right. I, I am finishing. I talked to Ramogi Huma, who's the director of the uh, national association of college players. Um, the, the, you know, the closest thing that exists to a union, it's not a union, but they've been fighting for those rights for over two decades. And I've been talking to Ramogi for more than 10 years about this stuff. Um, and I said, like, if, if you had a true union right now, would you, like, tell your players not to sign it? And he said, well, I would do whatever the majority of my union members wanted me to do. And probably most of them would want to play and most yeah. of them would go along with it. And so that's the thing about this, too. And I'm still writing about it. I think I'll have it up on, on Tuesday morning. It's not even that the players would say no, it's that like they don't have the right to to have the representation so they can say yes, right? Because agreeing to something when it's on a level playing field is different than agreeing to something when the playing field is slanted. And just, it's always been slanted, but in a world where we're dealing with name, image, and likeness, where we're dealing with players voicing their opinions on the Black Lives Matters movement and the treatment of African-American players in the sport, And in a world where we're in a pandemic and players are coming back and ready to put their health at even more risks than they normally do when they're risking concussions and that kind of thing, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy, boy, does it seem like more than ever it would be great for someone to have the back of the players so that this exact kind of thing wouldn't happen. That there would be a player rep on every college football team, and the minute a school said, here, everybody sign this, the player rep would say, hey, before we sign this, I'm gonna call the, our player, our college players union and I'm gonna tell them about this and I'm gonna run it by them and then we'll have a discussion about this. And I don't think that would be impossible to do. I know there's an Ohio law that says players can't unionize. I'm not even sure that would be necessarily a union. It's just like someone standing up and realizing their rights. And I just think in the end, it would be better for everybody. I think that if that would have happened here, I think that would have been better for Ohio state than this, because I think now Ohio state ends up looking like they're trying to get over on somebody. When I, again, I don't exactly know that that was the intent. So I don't know. I'm a little frustrated by the whole thing and it just makes me the same level of frustration that I have with sort of the way college sports operates.
2: And Ohio state didn't really hide anything here. This was one of the things that they said up front that I, that they were going to be, that was distributed to players. I'm pretty sure. Um, and it was it's a publicly available document. They had to probably know that that would get out there. Um, but it's just the way that it was worded that uh, multiple lawyers I talked to today had real quibbles with. Um, and to the point, I mean, to the point that I mean, I talked to two lawyers who both used the same phrase, muddy the waters. Like it was clear that some another lawyer wrote this with the intent of having it be the kind of document that would protect Ohio State if they needed it to. Steven, would you have signed it?
0: Uh, if I mean, you were a junior tight end for the Ohio State Buckeyes, and they said sign the paper, would you sign it?
1: Probably at that age, yes. More I than think I would theater. have signed
0: it. I would have signed yeah, it.
1: At that age, just because, you know, it's, okay, fine. Sign this, and you can go play football. And that's how most of these kids were probably thinking. Sign this. To, and agreeing that you're going to do what you probably were already doing to stay healthy, and then you go play football. So, yeah, at that age, I probably would have signed it.
0: And the hard thing about it is it won't matter unless something really bad happens, Yeah. and then there's a lawsuit over the something really bad that happened, yep. which is a reminder that we have to keep that in mind. Because if there was no possibility of something really bad happening, I don't think they'd be doing it, you know? Because it's not even really about like, did you get it, right? I mean, if you get coronavirus and you're like an asymptomatic carrier and you test positive because they're being very strict and diligent with the testing and then you have to self-isolate for 10 days or whatever, but you're not sick, you don't have any lasting health effects, then whatever, right? I don't think that the pledge or waiver will come into play. It'll only come into play if if somebody gets it and has serious health effects out of it, which is like what nobody wants to think about. But I think we have to think about, and moments like this make you think about it. Two things I want to bring up that are not related, but as another example of sort of player empowerment, uh, Iowa parted ways with its strength coach. They gave him a million dollar parachute. Um, that was a white strength coach working for a white head coach and multiple black, black players bringing up that they thought he, uh, over the years, had used poor language, had treated them differently, um, would say things like, I'm going to send you back to the ghetto or something like that, like trying to motivate guys in the weight room. Um, we have not talked about that. It's Chris Doyle from Iowa, who just became official um, just recently. Kirk Ferentz is still there. Steven, like, what's your instinct on just like watching something like this unfold and, and black players speaking up as a group, and the result is a long – this is the Mickey Marathi and I'm not, I don't, I'm not casting aspersions on Mickey Marotti, but I'm trying to give Ohio yeah. State people context. This is the Mickey Marathi of Iowa football, except he's been at Iowa a lot longer than Mickey Marathi has been at Ohio State. What do you think of the whole thing?
1: I mean, I'm happy they did it, but how do we need to get to this point? How did the world – just to put it into the real world, how did the world have to get to a place that we're in right now for that to happen? Because I'm pretty sure that student, if he's been doing this for this long, I'm pretty sure that the student athletes there right now are the first people to go complain about it. And it took them how how many years before somebody said anything or actually took action about it? Because this isn't a new complaint and it's never, it's never a new complaint. If, if Mick Moradi was doing the exact same thing, I guarantee you Chase Young wouldn't have been the first person to say something. If it were happening at Ohio state, JT Barrett would have probably been saying something. And years before that people, as long as Mick Moradi would have been there, if this had been happening in Ohio state, it wouldn't have been, Oh, this happened one time. So he's out of here. This has been a culmination of things that have been happening there. And it took them this long to do it. So yeah, you're happy. They finally took some action, but it's, more of a why did it take you so long to do this when you knew it was going on?
2: Nathan, what was your takeaway from it? Yeah, I, to me too. I, I kind of had the same that I, I'm skeptical that none of these complaints ever were brought to to anyone before. Um, I, I'm just I'm just always so skeptical. I mean, we've seen you know every time you talk to these coaches. They talk about you know they're, and every time they're written about it 's about how they know the, the finer details of their program down to the, the last whatever until the controversy rises, and then it's all of a sudden like I was never aware of any of these things um, i I'm, I'm skeptical, and I think that there needs to be some accountability at the top of the program um, or, or these kinds of things never really get changed. I mean, you can you, you bounce this guy, but um, that doesn't necessarily really solve the problem.
0: So I know Gary Barda, the Iowa athletic, athletic director, got emotional um, during the press conference on Monday talking about racism, and I think try to trying to say, you know, so the idea of like he didn't realize this was going on. They have to understand better. It's a little frustrating to me that it's like it's a white AD, it's a white head coach, it's a white strength coach um, in a very white state that has black players, and all the white people who are like, I had no idea. I had no idea. If you maybe had some more black head coaches, if you maybe had some more black assistant coaches, if you maybe had some more black ADs, maybe this stuff wouldn't go on, right? That like, again, it's structural stuff. And it's what I talked about with Gene Smith on the Wednesday podcast last week, that it's like there there needs to be better representation. If you're, if you're at 55 or 60% of the players are black, then why is it that that is not represented with athletic administration and with the coaching ranks? And it just to have to be have people in charge be tone deaf at best or worse to the feelings and needs of a chunk of their roster is angering. You know, that it's like, great. I'm glad Gary Barter's is going to do something about it. But as Steven said, it's like, how, how has it been that this has been going on this long? And if the guys Stephen, to your point, either they've been saying stuff all along and they've been ignored or they never felt empowered to say anything. Mm -hmm. They thought if I say anything, I'm going to lose my scholarship. If I say anything, I'm going to get benched. If I say anything, I'm going to be ostracized because all the power in this relationship rests with the head coach and the strength coach. And this is just how it works at Iowa. So I hope this kind of stuff changes. But one of the ways you can change it is by getting more people who understand it in positions of power. And if you don't do that, you're gonna be relying on white people to be understanding and you want that, that's important, but that can't be the only thing. It can't only be, let's get white people to get it. It's like, how about putting more black people in positions of power when so many of the players are black? Do you think Kirk Ferentz should be on the hook for all of this? It seems like he's gonna be okay. I sent something to our texters that to me, if Urban Meyer was on the hook for Zach Smith to some degree, Enough of a degree that Ohio State investigated it and then suspended him for three games. Should Kirk Ferentz be on the hook for some of this again? Nathan, kind of what you said. It's like, well, you know, if you're the head coach and you you're in charge of everything and you know everything, how could this have been happening on your watch? Should Kirk Ferentz have some kind of punishment?
2: Well, I mean, they are one of the other things they announced today is there's going to be an independent review. Um, a a law firm out of Kansas City is going to handle it. So I guess I would, I would wait for the results of that. Right. I mean, let's have, let's have due process, but Doyle was, Chris Doyle was seen as like the, the main um, person that was creating this atmosphere of unwelcomeness or uncomfortable, however you want to say it and offensiveness, however you want to say it. He was, so taking him out of that, I guess, does potentially, address the problem but the fact that they're doing this independent review in this day and age I would be surprised if there wasn't some sort of repercussions within the program that extend beyond Chris Doyle
1: and Zach Smith was the one being an idiot not Urban Meyer and Urban Meyer also got suspended so yes there should be some repercussions because at the end of the day this is somebody on your staff he works for you so you should be held accountable for that just like he is
0: I, I think I agree with that. I don't know what the specifics are. I think I agree with both of you. You, you got to see what the investigation reveals, but I, I feel like Kirk Ferentz saying like, I'm sorry, I didn't know. Isn't, isn't quite good enough.
1: That's and, worse. Saying you didn't know is worse. Yeah, actually. Cause that means you don't have a, you don't have the pulse of your program. And you're not paying attention to the, the guys whole, you're recruiting in there.
0: When you're a college football coach, right. Either you knew and you didn't do anything about it or you didn't know. And that's worse. I think you're right. I think so. Or you're, you know, you're, you're intentionally blind. It's like, well, that's Doyle's weight room, whatever he does in there, you know, how he is kind of stuff. Now I'm putting words in Kirk Ferentz's mouth, but that's a, that's an angering again, kind of, if, if that's what, a, what passes for sort of an excuse for this, I don't, I don't think that's enough. And again, I know some people may not agree with this stuff, but, but it's just a reality. Listen, you have to listen to your players and the players are realizing that their voices matter. And if you create an environment that is um, uncomfortable at best, or perhaps much worse for a large chunk of your football team, whatever that circumstance is, that's not acceptable. And I, I'm glad that we're getting to a point where the players, because the players aren't punitive, the players aren't just like, you know, coming out and saying stuff just because like they're they do not like a guy. I mean, this is this is these are real things that players are finally having a voice on. Um, let's do quick on this. Chuba Hubbard, Stephen. Chuba Hubbard um mike gundy the oklahoma state athletic coach was photographed in a shirt for the oan network uh chuba hubbard saw that and said this is too much um i'm not going to do anything with ohio state until this situation changes oklahoma Uh, state what did i say
2: you said ohio state
0: oh geez uh editor (laughs) (laughs) what do you think of that Stephen? when you see this is chuba hubbard heisman candidate One of the best running backs returning in college football. This is a big-time, high-profile black athlete um, disagreeing with with a white coach. And you imagine it's not just about a T-shirt. There must be – you'd anticipate something else there. What do you think of what Chuba Hubbard – and then being backed up immediately on social media by other players on the team – and then the president of the university and the athletic director getting right on social media to react to it and say, we're going to look into this.
1: Yeah, it's it's an extreme measurement to take, but you're, you're right. It's probably more – this was probably the last straw, him seeing that picture. It's extreme, but it's also, weirdly enough, the right environment for him to try to pull this off because of, you know, obviously, what's going on in the real world, not just in the sports world right now and Claire is realizing not just at the professional level, but also now at the amateur level, how much power they have. And it's not just regarding just their contract situation and real world issues. I think this is a guy who's realizing one I've had enough, but two, the environment is right for me to where I'm not going to be looked at as the villain or the ostracized one in this situation. People are going to look at me and be on my side of the fence when it comes to stuff like this. And you see that already with his teammates, And a lot of the, I mean, obviously there will be fans who will be against it, but you'll see just as many college football fans who will probably be on his side just because of the climate we're living in right now.
0: And people will try, some people might try to, you know, make it as free speech issue. No one's saying that Mike Mm. Gundy can't wear whatever t-shirt he wants to wear. What you're saying is if you are going to be the leader of a program, you cannot be deaf to what your players think and feel. And so that is true in any organization.
1: You have to read the room. And, and that's not too much to ask. No, it's not. And that's what right now Gundy didn't do. That. He didn't read the room. You have to read your – that seems to be a theme right now. Some college coaches aren't reading the room, and some are.
0: And I think um, maybe some college coaches have in the past didn't care. They think, I'm the coach. I don't have to read the room. I'm in charge. Um, but, again, not to kiss Ohio State's butt, I think, like, Ohio State seems like it's read the room pretty well. Um, from the start on this, and it doesn't, it's not about everybody agreeing, it's about being open-minded uh, to what players are feeling and saying, and you you have to respect that, and you have to react to it, because they are the people who go on the field and wear the uniform of your team, and I think in the past, if you could ignore uh, what they thought or felt or said, um, because they're the player, they don't have any power, if the players are starting to feel this, that, hey, I do have a voice, I can use it, and it, people will listen. Nathan, do you think this might change? We were talking a lot about the power balance in college sports. Could something tangibly change? And maybe it's not unionization, right? But is it something with where players will have stronger voices
2: in shaping their programs? Oh, I think unquestionably. You know, and I almost brought this up in relation to the Iowa situation. That you know, regardless of what happens next in in any internal repercussions or whatever Iowa decides to do, punishments or citations, whatever. um, There's already going to be consequences, probably from a recruiting standpoint. I think we're already seeing that a little bit on social media, right? You, You saw players around the country reacting to things that were going on at Clemson. Um, And and, um, what's tricky about this thing, what's tricky about the Chuba thing is Mike Gundy was quote unquote only wearing the t-shirt of a news source, right? I mean, it wasn't like he was saying offensive things like Chris Doyle said. It wasn't like he was even um, wearing a t-shirt that had some kind of a um, racist caricature or something else that was, like, clearly offensive. This becomes, frankly, does become more political because that's what it's about. And that's where I think this, in just a short amount of time, that has signaled kind of a a big shift in this conversation because um, players, I think, are feeling empowered to speak up about something even like that. It doesn't have to be something that is, like, overtly offensive. It could just be something that they feel is as out of touch as that they feel the need to, to speak up and, and, and say, Hey, to their coaches, you're clearly not uh, maybe in tune with um, the the broader message here and, and, and things that are important to us.
0: And listen, nobody can make Chuba Hubbard play football. I mean, if Chuba Hubbard no, wants to sit right. out the year and yeah. work out at home, it probably won't affect his draft stock. So I think this is a little different. I don't know that like, this is going to lead to, you know, I don't think that, Mike Gundy is going to be fired or should be fired over something like this, but you better believe that like what Chuba Hubbard thinks really matters to Oklahoma state. And it's not about kissing his butt. It's about being open to his thoughts and respecting different viewpoints. And so, you know, in the end, the players do control that. They don't control much, but they do control whether they decide to play or not.
2: But you you would agree that it's kind of a, it, it becomes a different argument here when, Someone could, I think, plausibly say, well, is Chuba Hubbard respecting Mike Gundy's thoughts or is he being open minded to Mike Gundy simply because he wore the T-shirt of this news network?
0: And 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 so the point, I mean, I think the point in the end is Mike Gundy can think what he thinks. Chuba Hubbard can think what he thinks, but then maybe Chuba Hubbard just will decide not to play for Oklahoma State and maybe some other players will decide that, too. And then you have to decide if you have a coach who... Is not connecting with his players or is not open to their views. Listen, it's been a one way street in a lot of ways, right? We're talking about Mm -hmm. it being a one way street. I think it's not even necessarily about it being a two way street right now. It might be time for it to be a one way street the other way. The other way, yeah. So that if the players have the power, the players decide where nobody's drafted in college football. We're getting more lenient transfer rules. When guys are recruited, they can go wherever they want. And if you are going to be a coach, who is insensitive or unaware of the feelings of black athletes. I'm not sure that's going to be a great spot for you. So that's just a reality. It doesn't mean you have to agree. It means you have to be open-minded, right? And so you could argue wearing a t-shirt of any news network maybe isn't very open-minded. Just wear a t-shirt with Mickey Mouse on it because everybody likes mickey
2: mouse and i will say like coaches have been doing the opposite for a long time like they they're very open about the fact that they look at players social media they look at the things that people say the 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 kind of content that they put their name on like they look at it they and they judge it and sometimes they make decisions about whether they're going to recruit a guy or not or or I mean, I've seen that. I remember um, a basketball group. One time I was sitting covering a basketball game and I had my tweet deck up, which is people might know is like you get to look at multiple Twitter feeds at once. And that's how you're like tweeting and following stuff during a game. And all of a sudden, like porn starts like scrolling into one of my columns on tweet deck. I'm like, what the hell is going on? And it was some uh, recruit that that team had been covering that was in like my recruiting column. And he just started like retweeting these porn accounts. And so like coaches will see stuff like that and, and use that as a judgment or of that. They will, they will have a judgment of that player's judgment based on that. And I think now, again, this is just an example of the shoe being on the other foot, a player saying, well, I'm seeing how you choose to use free speech or what kind of speech you support. And I'm using that to judge you the same way. And they feel more empowered to do that than they ever have before. And I think that is a positive thing.
1: And you see players already doing it. Now, obviously, Chuba took it to another extreme. But Tamisha Azalea, we had a 45-minute conversation, and he was breaking down statistics of different schools based off of things he's seen on their social media accounts and everything else in between. And if he's doing that, he's not the only top 100 recruit in the country that's doing that. So that's where it's going to hurt you first is in the recruiting recruiting trail where maybe you had it in with a player, but then he sees you take a picture with that T-shirt on and all of a sudden he's thinking, I don't know if I want to go there anymore because he doesn't necessarily align. Or maybe he doesn't necessarily agree with some of the things I agree with.
0: Yeah, and I mean it's one of those things. If you're going to build a, a waterfall in the locker room and if you're going to have all these cool social media graphics and stuff to try to entice players, also like making sure that like, your program and your coaches are open to the thoughts, feelings of the players you're trying to recruit, also kind of important right? Like also kind of important. And so um, it matters. That's why we talked about it. It's interesting. Um, I don't know where it's going to go, but you do see some players, lots of players sort of standing up more um, maybe than they ever have before. Two more rapid fire questions and we'll get out of here. From the 937, if the three of you had to slot yourselves into three positions on um, this year's Ohio State team, what would they be? Nathan, you had a question about whether this meant all three of us are picking positions for all three of us or we're just picking our own position. I just picked my own. Yeah, Stephen, did you own. pick just your own? Okay. Yeah. We'll save Nathan for last then because I think he has ideas for all of us. Stephen, what's your position?
1: Um, so I had two. I'm either going to be in the secondary as a corner or I'm going to be in a slot with Mookie Cooper. And we can just rotate each other. We can just rotate as, you know, the Rondell Moore vote for Ohio State, but more likely it's probably in the defensive back room, which is where I would vote to go if they gave me the choice like they're giving Cameron Martinez, just mainly because I'm not going to get on the field, but I can just be around the entertainment that is Kerry Combs every day. How tall are you, Steven? Like 5'10". You could be a little slack guy. I can yeah. see that.
0: Corner, you might need I, I don't know. Uh, Den, Denzel's not I think Denzel Ward might be like
1: 5'11 5'10 it be real physical and real fast to do it of course
0: yeah but maybe help I'll, on special teams a little bit will you play special teams or no
1: I would yeah I'm, I'm gonna take the same route as every freshman that comes into a college football team. I'll do whatever to get on the field
0: Um, I am gonna be a uh, rangy uh, free safety on the back end mostly because I'm gonna hope that like I just don't actually get involved in that many plays. Like, I'm just kind of playing center field. I don't know. Maybe they'll run the ball. I'll try to come up and, like, make a tackle. But I always thought that. I always thought of myself, Doug Maurice, high school golfer and tennis player, was also a secret free safety in my head. But after watching some of the angles that Ohio State safeties have taken on coming up to help out in the run game uh, in recent years, banana angles or chasing receivers – Um, I am less certain of that because I'm pretty sure, I think I would be like a one game starter and I'd take like three bad angles and I would be done. But in the meantime, I'd kind of like, you know, I like the idea of being the guy who can like the the corner is responsible for the coverage and I'll just like come over at the end and try to make a pick, you know, kind of fits my personality. So
1: avoid tackles. Are you more Jordan Fuller or Josh Proctor with it? Like, Are you, you know, high ceiling, low floor, or is it just kind of, I'm going to get my tackles every game. I think I'm low
0: ceiling, low floor. That's fair. Who's that? Who who does that describe? (laughs) That guy doesn't
1: play for Ohio State.
0: (laughs) There's a guy that I remember. I'm not going to name him because I don't want to misremember, but there was a guy one time in the Trestle era. I think he was at safety. He was definitely in the secondary, who like all offseason, preseason, it's like, okay, he's going to be a starter. And then he started one game, and they were like, nope, not him, and he never played again. Um, and it was like he just vanished, and they just like were like, oh, okay, we had that wrong. Um, that would be me. That would be me. Remember that weird French guy who started once? That would be my Ohio State legacy. Nathan, what do you got
2: for us? So for myself, I picked center. If you're gonna pick a, one of the 22 main spots, I was like, well, where could I go where maybe the fact that I'm slow and short and not very strong, but maybe my brain could win out in some way and if if it was for this Ohio State football team fortunately the quarterback is pretty fast so like he could get like get out of the way of whoever just bowls me over and, and comes through hmm. um so I I picked center I thought that was an area where and I'm not saying that uh, that you don't have to be strong or uh, big to play center because uh, obviously Josh Myers and all the other centers in the world are that I'm just saying that maybe that was one where like I could because you have to like think and point things out, I could, I could come up with, I could conjure enough value from my brain. Not that I'm brilliant, but from my brain to make up for my complete lack of other physical attributes. I I think it's important to say like the real, like if you had to give me a position on the team, it would probably be like kickoff coverage, right? You would just be like cannon fodder. They would just like fire you down the field and you'd smash into somebody. And it does not matter if they literally kill you. Like, they would just then scrape you off and someone else would take your spot. That's probably the place where any of us should probably end up.
0: You just want that shot. I can envision you in that. You want that picture of you like looking up with your hand on the ball and your like your left hand is pointing. pointing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah.
2: Your beard
0: (laughs) under the chin strap. Like you just want that photo. I can see that. But
2: see, like I want, I'd like to be center because I would do that stuff all the time, but I would never be pointing at anything that made it. It would all be a mind game. Right. I would just be pointing at like people in the stands, but then like linebackers think I'm pointing at them or I'd be like pointing at the. Yeah. Yeah. I would just be pointing at random stuff. I'd be saying nonsense. Like I would just be up there just say gibberish to try to throw the other team off. It would be a lot of fun. Ted Leo and the pharmacists. Ted Leo and the pharmacists.
1: <laughs> um, I mean, well, why Dave is, look, is looking like I don't know what that is. Who so is I'm, this? Just gonna, I'm just going to I'm just going to push this guy. How tall are you, Nathan?
2: Oh, I'm five, eight on a good day.
0: I'm definitely next time we get back and talk to players. I'm going to go up to Josh Myers and see that. I'm going to point to you and yep. say, see that guy right there. He What's thinks the he can be a center and see what happens.
2: <laughs> I would say I would no. the way I would ask Josh Myers is if that, if you were not going to put that guy at center, then where on the field would you put him? That's right. the way to ask that question.
0: Maybe, maybe Suzaphone. phone. Um, a trumpet. I'd be a good at trumpet. I'm a good trumpet player. Uh, Nathan, what positions did you have for me and Steven quickly?
2: I picked a uh, cornerback for you because I figured it was a, a spot where you could just run your mouth a lot and, and jaw. And there may be some uh, some positive from it. And like uh, be- because Steven is like the one of the three of us that I feel like even though I, I mentioned playing high school football in the last podcast, he's the one that actually probably has. um some athletic talent and was a good high school basketball player and stuff from what I heard. So I, I gave him running back, especially on this Ohio state team. Cause they need more bodies at running back. Right.
1: I can be JK. I'm taller than JK. So you I cannot can be, be you cannot be
2: JK. You're not a bowling ball. You could you be, you could
1: be Mario. I'm not Yeah, that's true.
2: You could be that's JK fair.
0: Rowling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you're not bowling ballish enough to be.
1: J.K. No, that's true. Yeah. Is he's okay.
0: a, um, all right. Final one back to football from the eight, six, three, This was back when we had a question on the podcast about whether Brian Hartline or Luke Fickle would be more set up to take over for Ryan Day in like 10 years, if Ryan Day left. Um, My question from the 863, why would Ohio state not look at making Kerry Combs the next head coach after Ryan Day, assuming that Combs is here 10 years from now, the high energy and the way he relates to players is almost unmatched by most coaches curious on your opinion. So one thing, and I've talked about this a lot, Kerry Combs has white hair. It makes him look older than he is. He is 58. Um, So, Stephen, the idea of Kerry Combs, I think, A, as a potential future Ohio State head coach, or B, as a potential future head coach in college football. What do you think?
1: Head coach in college football? I mean, I could see it as a head coach at Ohio State. No, because the idea is this is 10 years from now where he's 68. And under those lines, I see him almost this, right. And this could change, obviously, because he's going to be the defensive coordinator this season. But right now, I see him in the same light as I see Larry Johnson, where they're probably the greatest of all time at what they do at coaching their positions. But I don't necessarily see either of them as head coaches at a power five school like Ohio State. And Penn State obviously agrees with me, because if that wasn't the case, Larry Johnson probably would have been the next head coach after Joe Paul was gone. And that clearly didn't happen. That's part of the reason why he's at Ohio State now. So I don't necessarily – one, he'll be older, 68 years old, and I don't necessarily think Ohio State wants to go down that road. But also I just more see those two guys as probably the greatest at what they do in that role and not necessarily anything more than that.
0: Nathan, what do you think of Combs as the head coach
2: here or somewhere else? Somewhere else, yes. At Ohio State in – um, a year or two if they needed it. You know what I'm saying? Like if, if, if Ryan day got some phenomenal opportunity and decided to make the jump and they needed a quick um situation, then, then, then maybe uh, it's the 10 year part that I think would probably push him beyond when you would give him his first head coaching job.
0: I really think he could be a really good college head coach. And we know, I mean, he made his bones as a, as a unbelievable high school head coach. Mm-hmm. Um, and at Coleraine High School in the Cincinnati area. And so like that is, he can run a program. There is no doubt about that. And so I just think, I, I, I kind of wonder with Kerry, I think he would be great. And maybe this is selling him short again. I think he gets sold short sometimes. And I think he's aware of that. And I think Larry Johnson gets sold short short sometimes. Like when you're so good as an assistant, people just don't maybe view you as something else. Um, If you had a program, like if something went wrong at your program and people were down on your program and you were trying to like win the press conference, but then also have something behind it, I think Kerry Combs is your guy, right? Because I think he does have substance behind the sizzle. He's definitely got the sizzle, but he's proven recruiting, relating to players, um, Just being everything that a coach is and what he did in high school, he has run a program. I think, like, if, if say, I don't know, say that he, say that Ohio State wins two national championships in the next four years and Kerry Combs is like, man, I've, I've done it. I've gone to the NFL. I tasted that. I've won as an assistant coach in college football. But man, the last thing for me to try in my early 60s is being a college head coach. I think he could turn around a Mac program. I think he'd be a tremendous Mac hire, but he might be too good for the Mac. Luke Fickle is too good for the Mac. You know, like if it went south at Illinois another couple of years, or if it goes south at Indiana in another couple of years, and now Kerry Combs is the Ohio State defensive coordinator. And you're like, we can hire the Ohio State defensive coordinator. And by the way, have you met the guy? I'm in. I'm in yeah, for like that, even a true. mid-tier Big Ten team. Those, For
2: are good yeah. Those are really good examples. Um, places like that in the Big Ten that need to be upwardly mobile. Um, yeah, well, this is about the fourth time that you've mentioned someone as like a potential next Illinois coach. Where right? I was like, wow, that would make a lot of sense.
0: And even, even like Purdue, like say, say Purdue gets good consistently under Brahm. And then Brahm goes to USC or Florida, whatever. And, and Purdue's like, oh, my God we just lost a great coach. What are we going to do? I'd look at Kerry Combs because he would perk people up. And that is some component of it. But I think Kerry has a lot more to offer too. I do think probably we all agree, mostly age-related because he spent such a long time in high school. He just wasn't on like the college head coaching path. I just don't think it's going to happen at Ohio State. I think we all agree on that, right?
2: Yeah, I do. Yeah, And I think even for these other jobs, I'd be interested to see who he brought to the mix from an offensive standpoint, because I think that would be a big determining factor. I know, for instance, the last time Purdue had to hire a head football coach, they were looking specifically for offense. They were looking for a big quarterback mind. I think that's something that a lot of programs look for, especially when they need to really rejuvenate a program. You're looking to go out and find a guy who can bring an offense that puts points on the board. So who does Kerry Combs align himself with to come run his offense?
0: All right. So again, I think we've talked about that a couple times. I think we've talked about sleepers a couple times on this podcast, but you guys ask good questions, even if it's a repeat every now and then, you know, from five months ago, there's a lot of fun stuff to talk about with this team. So keep reading cleveland.com slash OSU. I know there are people who listen to this podcast who don't read the site on a regular basis. So one of the things I want to have us do is talk specifically a little bit about some of the things on the site if you're a podcast listener only and i have podcasts where i listen to podcasts but i don't really read the site they're associated with i get it i get it but i also want to expand your minds a little bit like nathan what's something on cleveland.com that you've written or will be writing that you could direct some of our listeners to
2: well obviously there was today there was the big breakdown of of the the legal issues around this so that'll be up there for people on tuesday morning and um that's a good question. <laughs> that was the that was the that was, the, that was the, <laughs> Well, that was the crux of my day for Monday was, was kind of being buried in that. Um I do have some stuff coming. I, I've been I've been uh teasing this a lot to our, our guys inside, but um I'm looking at closer at the budget, how it relates to the, the, the COVID stuff, how it how it will be affected by the the lack of football attendance. We're gonna have something on that this week.
0: Steven, uh I know you talked to a recruit today. What do you have coming that's gonna be a story on the site?
1: Yeah, uh, talked to Jansen Dunn, 2021 commit, defensive back commit, one of the many in the class. We talked about a lot of different things from how Ohio State is helping him to build his brand to how, just how he kind of reacted to watching that video Ohio State put out on the Black Lives Matter movement and how you know he was really refreshed to see Ryan Day be a part of that and basically said that he has an opportunity to be a father figure and stuff like that. But also, you know, later down the line, we've been kind of plugging away at this idea of you know Ohio State. 2021 recruiting class being the highest rated of all time, potentially. And obviously that took a big hit with JC Lath- Latham, not coming to Ohio State and going to Alabama, but just asking a lot of those different guys, you know, th- for their thoughts on that. I've gotten a wide variety of answers from, they're going to write a book about us one day to we're going to win three national championships.
0: So, yeah, that's a big project we're working on. Uh, obviously Stephen was on furlough last week. So the JC Latham picking Alabama over Ohio State stuff happened while Steven was gone. We of mm-hmm. course wrote about it at cleveland.com. But one of these, we have to have a podcast coming up where we do another recruiting reset, and we'll get to that. We'll have a, a podcast, a daily pod at some point, fully dedicated to where uh, the recruiting for the 2021 class stands. I have a big story I've literally been working on for a year about Denzel Ward and his, his late father, um, and that's going to go up this week. I'm, I'm working on it. It's taken me a long time. Um, I think you'll want to read it. Brown's cornerback, but obviously made his name at Ohio State um, from Nordonia High School in Northeast Ohio. So you can look for that, and we'll make sure you guys know about it when that officially goes up uh, at Cleveland.com. So we appreciate you guys listening. If you if you don't read and you could start, that'd be great, because every now and then we have numbers where we can look and see how our stories have done. Every now and then you'll put up a story, and it's like, oh, good, nobody read it. I wrote a thing. We, we do a Buckeye take, if you guys don't know this. Monday through Saturday, six days a week, we've started this again at, bu- at uh, cleveland.com OSU where we have like a it's, a, it's a Buckeye take, it to play on Buckeye talk. It's sort of like how we talk on the podcast. It's that kind of thing in print online. And so I did one for Monday morning about oh, Alabama, Clemson and Ohio State fighting over being the bigger fake underdog for 2020. So we have one of those every day. You guys can catch those. Uh, subscribe to the text if you haven't tried that. But again, there's stuff on the site. You don't have to pay for it. Um, but the texts are six, one, four, three, five, oh, three, three, one, five. We appreciate the reviews. Greg C seven, four. I asked for reviews last week cause I was sick of the one that was on the top. And Greg C seven, four, who's a loyal tech subscriber, went in and dropped a great review and it's much appreciated. So now someone else go in and drop one on top of Greg. Um, all right. Wednesday podcast, Penn state preview, massive, 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 massive Penn state preview. We will get into the rivalry. We will talk about Penn state, Ohio state recruiting, we will talk about what Penn State could do to be even more of a rival for Ohio State, but that is going to be, that's next on the schedule. We are now at, at the seventh game of the 2020 season. We've gone through the first six. Game seven is Penn State. We will have Bob Flounders from PennLive.com, beat writer there, one of my old friends, the guy, as you know, if you've listened to this pod for a long time, who drove me home after I got drunk on my internship on my 21st birthday. Um, <laughs> Bob will be joining us. Oh, and everybody watched the Sammy Sosa, Mark McGuire documentary on Sunday night, right? Um, I have a Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa story because I actually also covered that home run race in 1998. When I left covering the Bulls, I wound up covering baseball and I wound up covering that home run chase. Um, And I have a funny story about that. I just like to tell funny stories about how I'm stupid. Um, So I'll tell that in the next podcast too. But for now, Stephen is back. Who's leaving anytime soon? Is anyone leaving anytime soon? We have a couple of weeks together, right?
2: Yeah. We're about five weeks before the wedding. So yeah, I think July is still then.
1: Yeah. I think July gets interesting because there's a bunch of. Yeah. yeah. I got a vacation coming up. We're, We're going to go. the lake. So yeah. anyway. All right. But for now, the three
0: of us back together, as always, thanks you guys for listening. And that was Buckeye Talk.